And as you find a seat, if you would open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we have been in a series and we will return to it on the book of Genesis. But because this is a week of prayer and fasting that begins today, I thought it would be good for us to get fresh encouragement and be envisioned about praying and fasting. It's a week that we set aside each year. We seek to align ourselves to the Lord, express our dependence upon Him. Just allow us in, communi- in a church community to cry out to the Lord together. And so this already, uh, we had a pre-service prayer. I know we're going to meet on Wednesday. Some of you may choose to meet with others or just pray in private. God, God uses these times. And I just want us to anticipate how God wants to use this in our lives and then in our church as we anticipate, Lord, what, what do you want to do into the days ahead? So this morning, we're going to look at what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer from Matthew verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I'm sure many of you have seen uh, the online platform Master Courses. Uh, It's been around for a number of years. It's various video classes, and these videos and the different subjects are taught by experts. So if you want to learn how to shoot a basketball, there is a master class taught by Steph Curry on how to shoot a basketball. If you want to learn how to be a comedian, there's a master class by Steve Martin on how to be a comedian. If you want to learn how to run a company, you can watch Howard Schultz from Starbucks talk about running a company. If you want to learn how to cook, there's a master class by Gordon Ramsay on cooking. And if you want to learn about political leadership, there is a class by George W. Bush on political leadership. Well, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount exceeds any master class because he's no mere field expert. He is the master himself. And he is teaching on prayer. People noticed that he wasn't just any old scribe or any old teacher. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on prayer. He says, pray then like this. And he teaches both how not to pray and then how to pray. While if you go online and watch one of the master's classes, they're somewhere between three, four, or five hours in length, Jesus' master class on prayer is a whopping 25 seconds. And that's if you read it slowly. And yet, he doesn't teach how long to pray. He doesn't teach how many times a day to pray. He doesn't teach whether we should pray with our eyes open or closed, our head up or bowed, our hands to get, uh, apart towards heaven or clasped together 
Whether we should be kneeling, sitting, standing, no. He taught, here's who you pray to, and here's what you pray. And so we are meant to spend the rest of our lives learning and deepening in the priorities of prayer that Jesus lays out here in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bible open, let's begin reading Matthew 6, verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Well, Jesus' master class on prayer begins with those words, pray then like this. And he outlines, he, first there's this opening address, and then there are six petitions. Now, I want, I want us to notice a couple of things before we begin. Notice how the prayer begins with God. So often when I pray, I, I'm certainly prone to begin with myself. Begin with my needs, my feelings, my wants. But Jesus says, pray then like this. And he lays out, he begins a prayer that is God-centered. It starts with God. In fact, the first three requests are all about God before there's anything said about ourselves. Notice as well the corporate nature of this prayer. When Jesus is teaching how to pray, it's not me language. It's us language. So it's not my Father in heaven, give me, but it's our Father. Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. And so Jesus is master class on prayer. It's radically God-centered rather than man-centered. And it is emphatically corporate rather than individual. So this prayer deals, I'm breaking it up into four kind of headings. It deals with praise, provision, pardon, and protection. So let's begin with praise. The opening words are, our Father in heaven. Now, these may be familiar words to us. Perhaps you memorized this prayer when you were a child. Perhaps you memorized it in the King James Version. These opening words convey so much. They would have surprised a Jew who was hearing Jesus because in the Old Testament, God is not often referred to as Father. And yet Jesus, even before Jesus laid this out, and he said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. There's, there's not many occasions where people were praying and addressing God as Father. 
But this is exactly what Jesus gives us. And it speaks to intimacy of relationship. In fact, if you read through Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it is flush with references to God as our Father. And as we learn more about this in the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, as Christians, God is our Father by means of adoption. He adopts us into his family. In fact, we sang about it this morning. Once we were enemies. Once we were dead in our transgressions. Enemies of God. And yet now, through Jesus' death on the cross, through the salvation that Jesus purchased for us, he brings us into his family. And actually, Jesus gives us the very title that he uses of his father for us to use. So our father is family language. God is not everyone's father. And we know this, you and I uh, practice this in life here on earth. We don't just walk up to any man that's older than us and just start calling him father. We reserve that term because it's a term of closeness and intimacy, a person we would consider ourselves. I, I am his child. And in a similar way, our father is how Christians are invited to address God. We're praying to our father. He loves us. He cares for us. He saved us. He adopts us into his family. He's close. We're on his heart. He's not aloof. He's not too busy. He is our Father. We have access by one Spirit to the Father, says in the Pauline epistles. And so he's our Father. It speaks of intimacy. He's our Father in heaven, speaks of his power. Uh, As an earthly father, I am not always able to do what my children ask of me, even if I wanted to. But our Father in heaven is powerful. He is able. And so this opening address is a statement of praise. And it's not something that we just pass over and forget about and get to the things we want to pray for. It's a statement of praise of who he is to us, who we are to him as his children. And it sets the tone for the prayer. And the first three requests are also an expression of praise. Verse 9, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. Not a word we use every day, unless you're praying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Perhaps it makes you think of Halloween. In the original language, though, this word shows up quite a bit. And it's nowhere translated hallowed anywhere else. Uh, It's most often translated in the New Testament to make holy or to sanctify or to set something apart as holy. And so it speaks of something no longer being common, mundane, treated as normal, but something that is treated special, something that is dedicated to God. It's set apart for God. It's holy. 
And so this prayer teaches us to ask that God's name, that is his reputation, how he's known, would be treated with the highest degree of honor possible. That our God, our Father, would be reverenced in awe and joy and fear rather than ignored or belittled. Now, some might wonder. There's actually a lot of points where I I, I wonder about things as I pray this. Some might wonder, wait a second, isn't God's name already set apart as holy? And the answer is, yes, it is. Whether we pray this prayer or not, God's name is set apart as holy. God is in a class by himself. But Jesus here doesn't just teach us to merely pray and say, Lord, we thank you that your name is holy. He teaches us to pray that it would be. In this prayer, you see, we realize not everyone treats God's name in this way. Not everyone reveres and honors and and has this, this special dedication to him. And so Jesus, in giving us this prayer, he actually, it, it starts with us. You and I pray this, hallowed be your name, it starts with us. Is that what I really want? Do I want God's name to be, in his reputation, to be held in honor Do I want to live before God in grateful joy because hallowed be your name is asking for that? And is this what I want most for others? That they would know God, revere God. It's a request that puts God at the center and it's a petition of praise. The second petition So hallowed be your name, the second petition, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. God, our Father, is a king. And his kingdom is his ruling and reigning presence. I remember spending some time overseas and seeing billboards of the president, the ruler, statues. And it's like as, as long as you're seeing those, you know whose kingdom you're in. And that has, you know, we, we now use flags. Where you see the American flag, you know you're in America. Well, God's kingdom, it's his ruling and reigning presence. And as we get further into the Bible, we realize it's not a physical kingdom in a physical place, but it's him taking up residence as king in our hearts and lives. And as with the hallowing of his name, so with this one, God's kingdom can be rejected. We can reject God as king anytime. We're like, you know what? I don't want to obey. I, I don't want him to tell, to, for him to be the truth in this matter. I don't want to love other people. We can reject him in those kind of outright ways. We can also reject his kingdom just by simply seeking to live for our kingdom, our own agenda, our little rival kingdoms. Uh, Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, this, your kingdom come, is a lordship petition. 
It is asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives. Emotions, desires, thoughts, and commitments. We are asking God to so fully rule us that we want to obey him with all our hearts and with joy. So in this master class on prayer... Jesus is leading us to pray and to reflect on what do you and I really want? Do we really desire God to rule and reign over us? Do we really desire him to rule and reign over everyone else? Because to pray this is to invite the Lord, start with me. Start with me. Set up your kingdom here, in this heart, in this life. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and the next, your will be done. God's will here is his revealed will. The things that honor and please him, the things that we find in Scripture... You see, prayer is not bending God's will to ours. Prayer is bending our will to God's. And this request really helps us to face in the right direction. And what I I mean by that is most people, and I put myself in the most people, most people's default starting point with prayer is to... Ask God what we want. I want this. Well, have you thought about praying for that? Yeah, I should pray for that. The default view is God is like a cosmic vending machine. You put in the quarter of prayer, you press the button, here's what I want, and you get your item, hopefully. If not, you kick the machine, badmouth the machine, and you move on. Or the, the default view of prayer is God is that genie. And we get three wishes. And that, that's not how prayer is supposed to be. Into this default view of prayer, Jesus says, pray then like this, your will be done. God's will is perfectly carried out in heaven, so your will be done on earth as it is in heaven His will is perfectly done in heaven. There's no devil to subvert it. There's no sinful resistance from creation. One day God will punish all opposition to his will and his kingdom. And this prayer shows us where real happiness lies. It doesn't happen in getting everything that we want from God. It happens as we are aligned to God. That's true happiness. And so notice, with these three requests of praise, we we haven't gotten to ourselves yet. It's your name, your kingdom, your will. These are God-centered requests because prayer is about asking God to instill in us more and more an awareness of him.
mean, just, I want us to pause before we get to the other parts of this prayer. Reflect for a moment. How do you and I start praying? Do we start with God or do we start with ourselves? Our need, our agenda. Are our prayers about getting God on our agenda or about us getting on God's agenda? And this this is so applicable. The next time you are in a small group and somebody in that small group says, does anybody have any prayer requests? If you're like me, I sit there and I think, okay, well, how am I feeling today? All right, I feel pretty good. Um, oh, yeah, I have a vacations coming up. Uh, I hope traveling on vacation goes well. Or, and then I start to think kind of broaden the circle. Do I know of anybody? Yeah, my neighbor, her cat went missing. And Gary, he's got that ingrown toenail thing. And, and I just, you know, go down the list. And I, I would love to hear someone say in that moment, I have a prayer request. Let's pray. Let's align ourselves to the hallowing of God's name and God bringing his kingdom to bear and God being his, getting his will done. Let's pray that. Now, in so saying this, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for things that concern ourselves and concern others. Yes, we should bring even the smallest things to God because he cares for us, the most mundane matters of life. But if you're like me, when I'm asked, does anyone have any prayer requests, I can be quiet if I can't come up with a sickness or an injury or a struggle that either me or somebody else has. I can be quiet. But Jesus is saying, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are three petitions that are God-centered and they are petitions of praise. And then they're followed by three or four, depending on how you count the last one, man-centered petitions, and it begins with provision. Provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And in this request, we're admitting to God our need. We are expressing reliance upon God to meet our most basic of needs. In Jesus' day, bread was the most common food. So bread, it speaks to necessities, not luxuries, I don't know if you're like me in this. I I find this request difficult to pray. And it's not because I'm gluten-free. Perhaps you're like me where you would say, you know, I actually have enough food for today. Why would we pray for daily necessities when we have refrigerators and pantries that can be stocked with multiple days of food We're we're not worried. We're not living day by day. And so perhaps we might take this request, give us this day our daily bread, and we might thank God. Well, Lord, thank you for giving me everything that I've needed. But that's not exactly what Jesus is teaching here. 
He's teaching us to ask our Father for daily bread. And if, it, if this request sounds unnecessary, we've probably drifted into self-sufficiency. We are to ask out of an awareness that we don't have anything apart from God giving it. And there are moments, these little reminders, I don't know if you remember like COVID shutting down everything and, or a hurricane that just all of a sudden all that food spoils or a medical issue that you have and all of a sudden we realize in those moments how weak and how dependent we are. If God doesn't give it daily air for our lungs daily blood for our brains, and and even more frequent than daily, Uh, daily water, daily food. Uh, Some of you know like how precious a good night's sleep is because every night is a struggle as you go to bed. Am I going to get sleep tonight? Daily sleep. If we don't get daily provision from God, we are toast. And so this request for provision, notice again, that we're not merely asking for ourselves either. We're asking for others. Lord, give us. I am dependent on God. Others are dependent on God. I'm aware that we all need God's provision or we are toast. Give us what we need, Lord, to carry out those things we just prayed for about your name and your kingdom and your will. And these are, these are everything we need physically. But as you know, bread is often used metaphorically for spiritual sustenance. Jesus is the bread from heaven. Jesus is the true bread. And so we're praying in this, Lord, give us everything we need today for physical life and for spiritual life. Now, I'm a practical guy. I come to this request and I wonder, why, why not pray, give us this year everything we need? Give us this decade. Like if you're going to pray, might as well round it up and get everything we need. Lord, I already asked for it. Why is it daily? Well, aside from teaching that prayer is a daily activity, I mean, that that features here in what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus is saying you and I need God day by day. Like that kind of dependence on him. That, That kind of reliance. And we might not feel it. We might not be prone to acknowledge it. And so this prayer leads us. It's both a reminder and an encouragement, a reminder of how dependent we are and an encouragement that he wants to meet daily needs, like manna was a daily provision for his people. And so this is one of the reasons that I I think this week of prayer and fasting is so good for us as a church. Because not only are we like coming with all these things that we might want to see God do, we're, we're renewing that dependence on him. To whatever degree we've drifted into self-sufficiency and our will and our agenda and our kingdom, 
and I don't really need anything because I have a refrigerator. We're, we're able just to humble ourselves before the Lord and acknowledge our dependence upon him together and even take steps back to greater dependence. So give us this day our daily bread invites us to pray for provision. And then Jesus teaches us to pray for pardon. And he uses the words, forgive us our debts. Church, every person is in debt to God. That's what sin does. Anytime we don't do what we should do, Anytime we do what we shouldn't do before a holy God, we are in debt to him. And you may wonder, wait, wait, I thought God forgave us. I thought that's what the cross of Jesus was all about, that he forgave us all of our sin, past, present, future. I've been declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ. I thought that's the heart of the gospel. Why do I need to ask for daily forgiveness? Repeatedly forgive us our debts. Well, there's a judicial side to forgiveness, which is satisfied once for all time at the cross. And then there's a relational side to forgiveness where we confess the sin that hinders our personal relationship with God. He's our heavenly father. We've sinned against him. And it's not, saying forgive us our debts is not so that we always have this spirit of groveling, so we feel bad all the time, like that there's something good about feeling bad before God. No, this prayer of pardon is intended to make us grateful for grace. We receive daily provision, We receive daily pardon. And the one that we are bringing our requests to is one we have highly offended and who chooses not to treat us according to that sin, but treats us according to Jesus' perfection and ushers us in. And so when we are teaching others to pray, uh, this is a fundamental part. Uh, Default in prayer is for people to start with, here's God, what I want you to do for me. And a part of teaching people to pray is actually the one you want to have stuff done for. Yeah, he's able to do that, but you're in debt to him. And that needs to be settled. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And so we're taught to pray for ourselves for pardon. Perhaps you are prone towards self-righteousness or self-justification or perhaps you just forget about what you've done before God, to God and others and you're just ready to move on with life. Forgive us our debts, slows us down and allows us to find mercy and help in time of need. It allows us to take up afresh the good news of the gospel. Jesus' death death on the cross is how that debt was paid. And so we're taught, forgive us our debts. And then he adds, as we also 
have forgiven our debtors. As we also. Here, how we relate to others' sin against us is connected in our relationship to God. If we do not forgive others their debts, we are literally asking God in this prayer not to forgive us. Whoa. Mr. Sinclair Ferguson explains, he says, we do not receive forgiveness because we forgive others, but because we cast ourselves on the mercy of God. Yet, we cannot receive forgiveness without forgiving others. The man who mouths the words, forgive us our debts, but will not forgive others their debts, has not begun to understand the weight of his own sin. So the Lord's Prayer teaches us to examine ourselves and our posture towards others, others who have sinned against us, others who are difficult, and to rehearse the good news of the gospel and apply that good news to the most messy relationships in life, to the offenses and the sins we face. So this is a masterclass on prayer by Jesus. He teaches that prayer is for praise, it's for provision, we're praying for pardon, and then finally, protection. And we see this in the words, lead us not into temptation. So the previous verse tells us we have debts. And this request tells us we have dangers. We are regularly in danger from sin and Satan, believer and unbeliever. And Jesus taught us to ask our Father to protect us. Now, we're not taught to pray this because God plans to lead us into into temptation. And unless you pull this ripcord, you're going to end up there. No, we're tempted by our own sin and sinful desires. We're tempted by Satan. Uh, One of Satan's names is the tempter. Because we are weak and spiritually vulnerable, we are to ask our Father to protect us. And this is great news because it means he's not only able to forgive us when we give way to sin, he's also able to help us before that sin occurs, even as we would find ourselves in tempting situations. So he's able and eager to help us recognize what's tempting and he's able to help us flee from those temptations. You know, one of the times in, uh, in our home where I find myself most tempted in my attitude toward the various family members is when I am tired. I'm tired, it's almost like, oh, I give myself a pass. I can, I can say what I think, I can act however I want, I'm tired. And so I get to, I, you know, give myself a pass. And, but the Lord has helped me to see that as a tempting situation and in advance for me to ask the Lord for his help. Often when I'm tired, I'm like, okay, Lord, this is one of those moments where I might give way. And I, I pray you would help me. 
Lead me not into temptation. You know, many times we don't have the option of just being clear out of tempting situations. But there are times we do have the option of actually avoiding tempting situations. And so we are to ask our Father in heaven, help us to see when that is the case and help us to resist. Give us power by your Spirit, strength to walk it out. So we're taught to pray, lead us not into temptation. And kind of the second side of that coin is then deliver us from evil. And that word evil there, it could be just translated like it is evil or the evil one. I don't think it matters as much because behind sin, uh, Satan and demons, they're behind evil. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver me, rescue me, help me escape all the things that Satan and demons and my own sinful flesh all the traps that are laid for me. You know, this morning we were praying in the pre-service prayer and one of the people in the prayer group brought this up, just praying for a group of people. Lord, deliver them. You see, it is not wise or safe to live life ignoring Satan. Like, he, he's like, I mean, it would be like living and there's this prowling lion about. And we're, oh, we're just going to ignore him. We're just going to act like he's not there. It's a prowling lion. And that's one of, G, of, one of Satan's titles in 1 Peter 5. He, he, he's real. He's not equal with God. He's a created being. But his goal is to undo everything in Matthew chapter 6. All the requests that we are praying that Jesus lays out. No, he wants to defame God's name. He wants to establish his kingdom and tear down God's kingdom. He wants his will to be done. He wants us to forget about God, lead self-sufficient lives, ignore sin, ignore temptation, and perish. So Jesus says and teaches us to pray with an awareness deliver us from evil. There is one stronger than him. And it's not you and it's not me. It's our Father in heaven. And he gives us these words that we might come to him, live aware of this danger that we're in and avail ourselves of a Father who is powerful and eager and ready to help us. You know, it's like a kid who's maybe on the the deck and he's about to jump into the pool and the kid knows, I can't swim. And so the kid says to his father, Dad, don't let me drown. Dad, you're going to catch me, right? And we know, even if he didn't ask, the father's not going to let him drown. But it expresses that this kid sees himself in danger and this kid also is expressing dependence on his father for protection. That's what's going on here in the Lord's Prayer. It's similar. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So church, as we go into this week of 
prayer and fasting, let us pray prayers of praise. Let us freshly align ourselves to the priority of God, his name, that that we would revel in the fact that he is our heavenly father, that we would want him and his reputation to be glorified, which means, well, what am I going to do? Well, I want to live in such a way as to glorify him. Let us concern ourselves with his kingdom and his will. And church, let us pray for physical and spiritual provision. Just that we would not be self-sufficient, that we would not just be coasting through of like, oh, God's going to provide what he's going to provide. No, we need him and expressing our dependence upon him. And then church, let us pray this week for pardon. Um, just that we would have a renewed sense of our, our debt before God and his provision and his lavish grace to over and over again forgive us our debts because of how Jesus was the substitute that we needed on the cross. Let us confess. Let us forsake and find mercy. And this week, let us pray prayers of protection for ourselves, for others, against all occasions of temptation, protection against the evil one. You look back over the last year, maybe the last five years, and you can think, I'm sure you can, of people. You can think of them and you realize, oh my goodness, Satan got the upper hand in their life. Sin and temptation, it ensnared them. Lord, protect us. And I encourage you to use the Lord's Prayer to this end. Do not just mindlessly recite the Lord's Prayer, but let Jesus' masterclass on prayer inform your priorities, how you come to God, what it is you really want God to do, and what you and I ask for. Let's pray. So our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you, Lord, that for all here who have trusted in Jesus, Lord, we have been adopted into your family. And we behold your great love. Thank you for, it says, you know what we need before we ask. Thank you, because you are our Father. And we do pray, Lord, for the, the holiness of your name, that it would be set apart, Lord, that the way we live and think and speak and act and desire, Lord, we want the reverence of God, joy in God, honoring you, Lord. Everything that we can do and others can do, Lord, we want it to see the extension of God's name, God's awareness in the world the lifting up of our great God. We know, Lord, that there is, there is conduct that belittles you, that's a sham, that puts your name in disrepute, Lord. We, we don't want to live that way. We want the honoring, the hallowing of your name. And we do pray, Lord, for you as king over all to bring about your kingdom, Lord. Rule and reign 
over us and over every aspect of us. And Lord, we pray your will would be done. That what you so desire and lay out for us in your word, Lord, that you give us to say this is your will, Lord, that it would be done. Done in us. Done in others. And we, we just afresh, Lord, bend ourselves and our will to yours. Lord, we express our dependence upon you for provision. Give us this day our daily food, the blood, the breath, the water, the spiritual sustenance that we need. Lord, the faith that we were singing about earlier today, Lord, even a mustard seed. Give us, Lord, this day our daily bread, everything we need. We are so dependent upon you. Lord, and forgive us. Forgive us our debts. Our sins are many, but your mercy is more. We thank you. Thank you for Christ, Lord. And I I pray that you would help us to become more aware of ways that we've sinned so that we might bring those to you, confess those, that they wouldn't hinder a relationship with you. Lord, and I pray you would help us to forgive others. Oh, Lord, forgive us our debts just like we forgive others. Help us, Lord, in the areas of bitterness, unforgiveness, grudges. Lord, you've been so generous, so free to forgive us. Help us to extend that same grace to others. And we do pray, Lord, you would lead us not into temptation. Help us to see it a mile away and to go the other direction, Lord. All different forms of temptation, Lord. Physical and sexual and pride. Lord, indifference to you. Self-sufficiency giving way to fear, giving way to this low-grade complaining, little lies that are not little lies. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, not to be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we need more awareness of Satan and of his schemes, and I pray you would rescue us daily from what he is plotting for our downfall. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. Protect us. Don't let us drown. Bring us all the way home to glory. We thank you, our Father in heaven, and all of this to the glory of your great name. It's in Christ we ask. Amen.